Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Guiding Truth series, which is based out of 1 Timothy. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God impacted you through these messages. Well, this morning, how many of you, uh, how many of you enjoy board games? Like board games. I know a lot, a lot of folks enjoy board games, and uh, I know that because we periodically have a game night at church, and we'll hang out and play some board games. And uh, I just don't worry, I'm not going to talk about the Sotos of Catan, all right? I know you thought that, those of you that know me. Uh, but I want to talk with you about a game, one game that I, I really don't see very much around our church when we do uh, different board games, but I remember playing it growing up, and maybe you remember playing it either growing up or you played it with your kids or grandkids, and that is the game of Clue. How many of you played the game of Clue? You remember this game. You know what? I, uh, I enjoy the game of Clue. I remember playing that growing up. Uh, but the game of Clue, I, I learned some interesting facts about the game of Clue. It was actually invented in 1944. Clue, game Clue was invented. Its original name was just the name Murder. I see why they changed it to Clue. Hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're going to play some Murder. I'm not invited. I do not want to come over there. And so it was invented uh, in 1944. A man by the last name of, of Pratt, I believe, uh, is who invented it. And uh, he invented it as a bunker game. Uh, of course, 1944, World War II is taking place. And people uh, over in, over in, in uh, the, the eastern area would be um, in Britain and England and all that stuff. And, and uh, London, they would all have to go in bunkers often for bombings and different things. And so he tried to come up with something that people could do for those sometimes days in a bunker. And uh, so they created this game of Clue. It actually wasn't produced and mass published until 1949. I tell all of you that just because I think it's kind of cool. It has nothing to do with the message. It's just cool. But the game of Clue does have something to do with our message. The game of Clue, the purpose of it is to, you know, the, the intention of the game is to take all of the clues, put them together, and it will lead you to the decision that you need to come to. Maybe you're here and you haven't played a game of Clue, but you've been on like a scavenger hunt or a treasure hunt. I remember as a youth pastor, we used to do treasure hunts with the teens and we would have different, um, uh, lift different little riddles and things that they would have to solve that would take them to a restaurant. And in that restaurant, they would meet one of our counselors and get another riddle. And then they would have to solve that riddle and that would take them to the grocery store and so on and so forth. And the whole purpose was to get them at the end to one place, all of those clues, all of those riddles, they all pointed to one thing. This morning, we're going to come back into our series, Guiding Truths. And uh, this is a series we're in. Look, we started just, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Actually, last week. Yeah. Sorry, I've been gone. And so my brain was thinking weeks ago. But last week, we started this series in 1 Timothy. The book, 1 Timothy, is written by a man by the name of Paul. I won't give you his testimony. Many of you know him, Saul of Tarsus. He came to know the Lord, went to start churches. You can read his life story uh, from Acts, Acts 9 all the way to Acts 28. He's in all those chapters except for one. 
And so when you look at the life of Paul, he started all these churches, began telling people about Jesus and going around telling people, hey, you go to heaven by trusting Jesus as your savior, not by your works or your religion, but I just wanna tell you about Jesus. And that's what Paul went around doing. On his journey, he met a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy became what we would call a preacher boy. He kind of was a follower of, of Jesus, of course, but he was a learner of Paul. And Paul taught Timothy how to start churches and how to pastor people. And Paul taught Timothy enough that Timothy could be a pastor on his own. And so Paul left Timothy in a town of Ephesus. Ephesus was known for the goddess of Diana. Um, it's a very immoral god and a temple where prostitution ran, just ran amok in, in that temple and it was part of their religion. And the goddess Diana was one uh, the, the God of sensuality really is what she was. And, and that was celebrated in Ephesus. And so Ephesus became known as just kind of a, a, um, a sin brewing pot. It was just somewhere where everybody went and every, everything was accepted. And well, Paul went in in Acts uh, 19, he started a church in Ephesus because of a couple other people that were Christians there. And, and it, man, God began to do a great work. And Paul stayed there for a period of time. And when he left, he left Timothy there. He continued, but he left Timothy. Well, Paul's journeys would continue for a number of years. And so about, you know, I don't know, probably about three to five years later, Paul, he writes back to Timothy. And he writes back this letter, the book of 1 Timothy. We call it a book. It'd be called an epistle or a letter. Paul writes it back with the intent to help Timothy know two things. Timothy, I want you to know how to be a Christian in the town of Ephesus. And I want you to know how the church should be Christian in the town of Ephesus. That's, that's the whole premise of Paul writing the book of 1 Timothy. I wanna help you know what it is to be a Christian in the midst of a carnal culture. And I wanna help your church be a godly, Christ-like church in the midst of a godless city. That's what Paul gave well, if you were here last week, then you'll remember that Paul, he writes to, the, to Timothy some, some of our first guiding truths. Last week, the three thoughts we saw was number one, Paul said, avoid false doctrine. There was different teachings, Gnosticism. Gnosticism says, if you know more about God, you'll be closer to God. There was Judaism, Judaizers, that said, if you observe the law, you'll be closer to God. And then there was ascetics or asceticism. Asceticism says, if you sacrifice or give up a lot, then you'll be close to God. Well, you can go and read the book of Colossians. All of those things are false. Read the book of Romans. All of those things are false. No, what you and I need in order to be close to God is simply a relationship through Jesus Christ. That is it. That's all, that, that, that's all that's there. And so Paul said, hey, Timothy, avoid false doctrine. Anything that's contrary to the word of God, Timothy, absolutely avoid it. Number two, Timothy, set aside foolish distractions. You read it in verse number four of 1 Timothy 1. Paul says there's fables and endless genealogies. And we, we talked about that, that people just argue and argue over silly things and get distracted. And Paul said, hey, avoid, set aside foolish distractions. But then he said on the, the third thing in verse number five, we'll see it again a little bit this morning. He said, Timothy, you need to get that focused desire of loving God. Remember, verse number five, the end of the commandment is this, charity, charity. Out of a pure heart, 
and out of sincere faith or faith unfeigned. Hey, Timothy, the goal of the Christian life is that you would love God. That's the goal, Timothy. Help your church understand that. This morning, we're gonna come and we're gonna get another guiding truth today. And as we come to this guiding truth, the the truth we're gonna look at is the title of the message. And it's simply this, that it all points to him. It all points to Jesus. I want you to see it with me this morning. Stand if you would, 1 Timothy chapter number one. You're already there, hopefully in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter number one. And we're gonna start in verse number one. We're gonna read down through verse number 11. 1 Timothy chapter one, you can follow along on the screen or in the word of God right there in front of you. 1 Timothy one, one through 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of, our, of God our savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. This is Paul identifying who's writing the book, why he's writing the book. And I want you to notice one more thought about this. Look at the end of verse number one in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our, look at that word, hope. Man, I'm thankful that in a hopeless society because of Jesus, I can have hope. Man, I can have hope. I can rest in assurance. Notice verse number two, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling or empty talking, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God or blessed God, which was committed to my trust. We're gonna stop right there this morning. Again, today, we're gonna look in 1 Timothy chapter one. We're gonna go from verse five down through verse number 11 and understand this guiding truth. It all points to Jesus. I love it. I love the passage. And I think we'll grow together today. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just take a moment and just give God permission uh, to, to speak to your heart today and just commit to him that as he speaks to you, you're listening and that also you're willing to respond to him today. Dear Lord, thank you again for the day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it applies to our lives. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we're going to see this morning. I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to respond, to learn, and Father, that we would grow closer to you today. I do ask you, Lord, that if there's someone here that does not know that they're going to heaven, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as Savior. Lord, for those of us that do, we give you permission to work in us. And uh, Lord, I just humble myself before you. 
God, I recognize that I have nothing to offer except for that, you give, that which you give through me. And so I pray that you do that. We love you. Thanks for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start today, I want us to take a few minutes and tie in our verses from last week um, into our message this week. And so I want you to look with me very quickly at verse number five. And I want us to see as Paul gets to the guiding truths, Paul begins to talk about what I'm calling the abuse of the law. Paul, he labels out for us the abuse of the law. We learned last week about the different beliefs that were creeping into the church. I just spoke about those, Gnosticism, asceticism, and Judaizers, as well as uh, idol worship. We didn't talk about that one, but don't really need to. Uh, But among those beliefs was that belief of Judaizers, Judaizers. Now, Judaizers, they were often Jews who had been, um, they had been, Sorry, my mind got distracted with something. Uh, the Jews, they, or Judaizers, excuse me. These, these would be Jews that they had trusted Christ and they had perhaps uh, um, you know, followed the Lord a little bit, but what had taken place is they brought their religion, they brought that into the church. And so they brought that religion into the church. And uh, what happens is these Jews, they had believed upon Jesus, but because of their pride, they were unwilling to lay aside their religion or lay aside their standards or lay aside uh, their different preferences. And let me just tell you this this morning, that having standards, having preferences, or being religious, those are not necessarily bad. But... If you elevate standards, preferences, or religion above your relationship with Jesus and your love for Jesus, that is where things go wrong. And here's what they were doing. They were using their religion. They were using their preferences. They were using their thoughts to try to describe how close they were to God. The Judaizers, okay, this is the Judaizers we're talking about because that's mainly what Paul is going to address in this next part. They were doing this. Oh, Romans um, 13. Yeah, Romans 13 and 14. It was this. Oh, you you eat meat that was offered to idols? I don't. I, I don't. I don't do such a thing because don't you know that meat that's offered to idols, I mean offered to idols. So now you're like saying that if you eat meat that was offered to idols, you're like worshiping the idol. I don't do that. Okay. But then you had over here, you had these people going, wait, you don't eat meat that was offered to idols. What are you a child? I mean, don't you know that that it's just meat? The idol's dead. It's just meat. It's going to go to waste. I mean, that's called stewardship. I'm not letting that go. I'm, this is like my groceries for the week. <laughs> and they would, they would just go back and forth. And, and what, what they were trying to do, listen, eat meat, don't eat meat. It doesn't matter. What matters was they were allowing it to cause strife and division. And they were saying, because I don't eat meat, I'm closer to God. Well, because I do eat meat, I'm closer to God. And so they're using, uh, if I can use this word, religion, religiosity, they're using religious works to try to say I'm closer to God because of my standard, my preference. Well, this is what Paul was seeing and Timothy was seeing happen within this church. They were saying, well, I have this standard or this preference or this religious work, so apparently I love God more than you love God. 
And what this was doing was causing great hurt in new believers, people who had recently trusted Christ, and old believers, people who had trusted Christ a long time ago. Here's what Paul says, verse five. Now, the end of the commandment is this, charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Hey, listen, there's a people group out there. They are taking the law, the word of God, the Old Testament. They're taking the book of Deuteronomy. They're taking the Shema. They're taking all of this, and they're just misusing it for personal gain desiring to be teachers, and yet they don't even know what they're saying. We heard this last week and spoke about it, but these people, they were mistreating the law, and they were leading believers out of the liberty of grace and into the bondage of legalism. And here's, what, here's, here's why that is enticing to people, because the flesh loves religious legalism. Because rules and regulations enable a person to appear holy without really having to change his heart. Well, I don't eat meat, so apparently I'm loving God more than you. It's based upon an outward showing of it. Question, does God care about the actions and outward of our life? Yes, Oh, but pastor, the Bible says God, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. So God doesn't care about anything else. Wrong. Read the Bible. God does care. He cares about our doing. God cares about the movies you watch. God cares about what you allow to enter your mind. God cares about the words that you speak. God cares about the spirit by which you treat others. God cares about those things. But here's what God says. I want those things to flow out of being who you are. If, I, if God has my heart, then he has my actions. But if God has my actions, I can keep my heart. And that's what they were doing. And they loved the religious laws because then they could say, well, look how spiritual I am. I don't or I do. And, and then they just get what Paul says. Here's what happened. They swerved. That's an interesting word in, in, in the, the Bible, the phrase swerved aside. Here's what the, the phrase swerved aside means. It means to miss the mark or to deviate from the original intent, okay? Don't miss that because that's gonna play into our message in just a few minutes, to deviate from the original intent. So here's what Paul says. Hey, listen, the end of the commandment is love out of a, a pure conscience and love out of faith unfeigned and, and a love out of the, just a sincere heart towards God. Listen, hey, Timothy, love God with all of you. Be consumed, Matthew, our, our, our theme verse in Mark chapter 12. Be consumed, love him with all of you because, Timothy, there are some that they've left, they have swerved, they have deviated from the original intent of the law. They're abusing the law. 
You see, what they were doing is they were making, these folks, they were abusing the law. They were uh, swerving aside. They were doing what was elevating the law and its benefits more than they were elevating Christ. And they were making the law the standard instead of Jesus the standard. They were adding to the law, making commands out of the law that God had never wanted to be a part of the law. Just go and research the Pharisees. There was already 630-something commands in the Old Testament, and they brought along to that another 600 laws or rules that they were trying to bring. And Paul says, hey, because of this, because of this abuse, they've gone out and he says they've gone into vain jangling. And we saw last week what that was, empty talking. They've swerved, they've missed the mark for what the law was intended for. They've deviated from the original intent of the law. And they've not only brought themselves down, but now they're, verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. I did a word study that word I, I like, you know this, I like word studies. That word affirm, the word affirm, it, it means this. It means to speak confidently. It didn't click yet, did it? All right, we're gonna do it. They swerved, so they went away from the original intent They went into empty speaking and they preached or spoke the empty speaking with confidence. Did you know that just because somebody's confident and loud doesn't mean they're right? Just just, just because. Well, bless God, I want to tell you. And we get, yeah, man, and, and you've heard me. I've got preachy before. But just because a guy can raise his voice doesn't mean it's truth. And I've been in services. Listen, I'm a, I've been to preacher's meetings. And I've heard guys get up and they'll stand on a row and they'll just start. It's called flinging her down. In the South, they'll shuck the corn. They'll light the bush on fire, preacher. You know, and they'll say the randomest things. And some guy will get up and he'll, uh, he'll read a verse and never go back to it. And he just gets up and just starts preaching and never once refers to scripture. Listen, you can preach something loudly and still be wrong. Now, does that mean that everybody's preaching loud is wrong? I hope not, because every now and then I get a little loud. But you want to know what I like about the preaching of Moses Lake Baptist? And not just mine. I love when, when Brother Fountain Sr. preaches or when our staff speaks or our Brother Daniel Blim or when we have a guest speaker in. You want to know what I love? I love this phrase. Take your Bible. <laughs> Open your Bible too. And then throughout the message. Now notice with me in verse, what are they doing? They're not abusing the law. No, they're using the law to help us, to grow us. This is what they weren't doing in the passage. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, they're abusing the law. They're swerved aside from the original intent. They're gone into empty talking and they're doing it loudly. They're doing it with confidence. Paul says, you know what, Timothy? There are some that they're abusing it, but they've missed it. They're using the law to their advantage rather than the reason it was written for. Let me tell you this, and I won't be long on this point. 
But did you know that that's still a tragedy that occurs today? We spoke briefly on it last week, but there are people who are truly saved. They know Jesus Christ as their savior, but they are abusing the law. They're using the word of God to make it say things that it does not say. There are people who they try to make the Bible fit into their opinion rather than changing their opinion to fit the Bible. It was happening in Paul's day and it's happening in our day. It was happening in their churches and it happens in churches today. We talked about it last week. And, and again, I'm not going to belabor the point, but people that argue over fables and endless genealogies and, oh, well, you guys go knock doors. Well, we don't knock doors. We don't believe you should. That's intruding on people's privacy. Well, we knock doors. And if you don't, you're, you know, and, and they get in these arguments. Well, you guys allowed two people to play guitars on the platform today. I would never do that because the Bible says that. And they'll make the, make the verse say what it wants to say. And remember, we talk, I don't need, do I need to go through everything we did last week? I don't think I do. The curtains, you know, and carpet color and all that stuff that people argue over. It, you know what? Paul says, hey, that is not the intent of the law. And let me tell you this. You can make the Bible say anything. You can. You can make the Bible say anything. But in order to do that, you have to pull it out of context. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, don't just make the Bible what you want it to say. Don't abuse the law, Timothy. Paul mentions the abuse of the law, but then he helps us and Timothy understand the abuse of the law by showing us what I'm calling the aim of the law. All right, if that's abusing the law, then what is the right way to use the law? And when I talk about the law, Paul is simply referring to the Old Testament. We would be referring all to all of the word of God now that the word of God is complete, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So now we can know if I'm, if I'm saying law today, I'm speaking about the word of God. And, and when Paul's saying it, speaking about specifically the Old Testament. And so here's what Paul says. He says, hey, I want you to know the aim of the law. Know what the aim of the law was. Verse number eight. He says this, we know that the law, it's a good thing. If or when a man uses it lawfully. So the law, it can be a bad thing. When? When you don't use it the way it was intended. But the law, the word of God, it can be a good thing. When? When you use it the way it was intended. And what Paul does... <clears throat> And this thought is in these couple of verses after this, verse 9 through 11, Paul, he lists 14 kinds of people who are condemned by the law. Notice who these 14 types of people are. This is one of three lists in the New Testament. There's this one, or four lists. This one, Mark 7, Romans 1, and Galatians 5, where the list makes up people condemned by the law. Here's the list. You ready? Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man. Let me, let me tell you who the law is made for. It is made for the lawless. The word lawless means those who violate the law. It is made for the disobedient. That's uh, pretty apparent, those who disobey. Good. For the ungodly, this is those living without acknowledgement of God. For sinners, this is those who willfully continue in sin. For unholy, this is those who live with no desire for righteousness. For the profane, this is those living for themselves and the temporal and the material. For murderers of fathers, this is those who kill their fathers. Murders of mothers, kill their mothers. Manslayers, 
killing anybody. Whoremongers, this is a man or a woman who's given over to gratifying sexual pleasures outside of marriage. For them that defile themselves with mankind, these are those that go against the natural uses of the physical body for some sort of sexual fulfillment, bestiality, homosexuality, lesbianism. For men stealers, kidnapping and trading and people trading. For liars, those who tell lies. For perjured persons, those who are false witnesses or gossips. And then notice how Paul concludes it. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Paul says, all right, let me give you a list of people who the law is made for. And he gives us the list. And then he says, oh, and by the way, it also covers anything else that goes against sound doctrine, truth, according to the gospel of Christ. Now, let me ask you a very simple elementary question. Who in humanity does that list cover? Man, the list, the list it covers everybody. It covers every single person. Well, I've, I've never killed anybody. Have you lied? Oh, not that you know of. <laughs> well, I didn't kill my parents. Uh, have you ever, uh, you ever gossiped? Oh, they deserved it. Okay, fine. Let's say you haven't done any of those 14 things. What about the rest of the Bible? And any other thing that's against sound doctrine? Well, pastor, I've had a rough week. I come to church to get encouraged. And you tell me that God's against me. You tell me that I've broken God's law. Well, I, I'm telling you this to tell you that we all have. Every single person's broken God's law. And this is what Paul is getting at. Hey, listen, the law is used. Well, I'll say it this way. The lawful use of the law is to expose, restrain, and convict the lawless. Who's the lawless? Everyone. And here's the simple thought, is that the law was given to show mankind the truth, and this is the truth, don't miss it, that we cannot measure up to God in any way, shape, or form because every single person has broken God's law. So Paul says in Romans, the law, it can't save sinners. We read this in Galatians. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if or because if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Listen, if good works could get me restored and right with God, then Jesus died in vain. So Paul's getting in Galatians. Hey, Judaizer, if your religion can draw you closer to God than Jesus' death, it was completely pointless. Galatians 3, Paul continues, is, it, is the law then against the promises of God? Well, God forbid. If there had been a law which could 
have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law, should have been given by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise of faith by Jesus Christ might be given to them that, here's the key, believe. Hey, the lawful use of the law is to point, it's to point people to this. You don't measure up, but you don't have to. Listen, my friend, that is freeing. That is freeing. Why? Because religion says, do this, do this, don't do this, be this, be this, don't be this. Religion says, fill in the check marks, live out your daily life, but make sure you're doing it by this list if you want to be close to God. And God comes and says, that's false doctrine. That's false. You can't be close to me except through Jesus Christ. Paul is getting out this thought that you know what the law does? The law reveals that you and I need Jesus. This is what the phrase according to the gospel means within our passage. This is the intent of the law to reveal that we cannot measure up to God and we are in, we are in absolute complete need of a savior. It said this way in Hebrews, for the law made nothing perfect, but here's what did, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Now, can I just tell you this morning, we know this, but we need to reminded, be reminded today that the law is there to point to our need for Jesus. That's what the law is there for. It points to my need for him. It is there to point that I cannot measure up. And listen, Paul is helping us understand that the law was not given for those who need no law, but for those who need a savior and who needs a savior. Every single person in this world needs a savior. And can I just help you understand this morning that that does include you. You need a savior. Well, um, I believe that all roads lead to heaven. Based upon what? And I'm not trying to argue or present a, 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 um, a prideful or just hammering spirit here, but I just want us to understand, just like I was talking with John. I was talking with John the other day on, on our plane ride home. Robert and I were there, and I was talking. Robert was sleeping. Because <laughs> somebody scheduled me a 6 a.m. Flight, flight after three hours of sleep. I'm not going to mention his name, but it rhymes with Micah Bosworth. <laughs> Anyway, we're sitting there and I'm talking to John and, and I, I, was, I said, John, uh, uh, we, we'd talk for a little bit. I said, oh, well, you're from Texas. You go to, go to church anywhere, John? He said, oh, you know what? Actually, we just started going. About three months ago, started going to church. He said, um, you know, our, our, our marriage kind of on the rocks. And so we sought some counseling and ended up at this church. I said, oh man, John, I, I'm sorry to hear that. How can I help? Just, we began to talk. And uh, after a few minutes, I said, uh, I said, John, is your your church tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. He says, oh, you know, I've been going there three weeks. I mean, or three months. I'm sure they do talk about that. I just, maybe I just haven't caught on. And I said, well, John, and I began to go through the gospel with him. And I got through the gospel with him and John said, Dennis, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, go ahead. And he basically asked this, how can you prove that the Bible is true and that Christianity is, is where it's at. Yeah. 
I said, well, John, that's a long conversation, but can I, can I show you two things? So yeah. And I use the illustration, I've said it before, about gathering 10 of your closest friends that know each other, putting them in the same room and have them all write their opinion about the political realm of the US right now. You know what you would get? Even the closest friends, you'd get 10 different opinions. And yet the word of God has over 40 different authors, over 1500 years, and only about eight of them knew each other. 12, eight or 12 of them knew each other. And yet all of it agrees and points to Jesus. How could that happen? Paul said it this way, divine inspiration. Or Peter did, divine inspiration. God moved, moved men to write the word of God. I said that to John. He said, huh, I never knew that. I said, the second thing, John, is this. It's one word, faith. I said, John, everybody has faith in something. I said, did you meet the pilot when you got on the plane? He went, no. I said, John, you're a businessman. You fly a lot. Do you meet all your pilots? He said, no, I can't say that I've ever met any. I said, and yet you trust them with your life. You get on a plane and put complete faith in their training and their ability to fly that plane without meeting them. It's faith. And I went through faith stories, fast food and starting your car and different things like that. And I said, John, the whole thing about Jesus is it's a matter of where your faith is. You see, John, because you choose to put your faith in the Big Bang Theory or you choose to put your faith in, in the beginning, God created. You see, the word of God, what it does is it points everything about it. It points me to my need for Jesus. I need him. I cannot get to heaven on my own. So what do I have to do? Put faith in Jesus Christ. Why do I need to put faith in him? Because you're a sinner. You're so mean. I'm a sinner too. Well, we're sinners. It's all inclusive. <laughs> Sorry. That just reminded me of a political argument. Jesus isn't all inclusive. He's very much all-inclusive. You're all sinners. <laughs> Who? Everybody. It includes everyone. But the next part's what's cool, that his forgiveness can reach anyone. Yeah. It, proves, it proves it. You're a sinner, but I can forgive you. One man said it this way, law and gospel go together. For without the gospel, for the law without the gospel is the diagnosis without remedy. But the gospel without law is only the good news of salvation for people who don't believe they need it because they have never heard the bad news of sin and judgment. Can I tell you that the law is not gospel, but the gospel is not lawless because the law informs me of my need for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, hey, church at Ephesus, hey, Moses Lake Baptist, don't use the law to try to prove your own righteousness. Because really the law just points to the fact that you don't measure up and you need Jesus Christ. Believer, can I tell you, you need Jesus every day in your life. Church member, you need Jesus in every moment you serve. 
Christian, you need Jesus in every area of the workplace. Dad, mom, child, teen, you need Jesus. And listen, don't just think that because you are doing well and because there are some uh, appearances of Christianity going on in your life, don't think that that excludes you from needing Jesus. No, you and I, we need Jesus daily involved in our life. You need God and I need God to be an intricate part of every decision. We need him. Uh, I need to have a moment by moment walk with him and don't, don't do this. Don't be like the Judaizers that were saying, well, I'm not like them or they're not like me. Listen, don't measure yourselves among yourselves because they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Why? Because I'm not to measure myself or compare myself with others. I'm supposed to do it with Jesus. And when I do it with Jesus, I'm measuring myself to perfection. And when I'm measuring myself to perfection, I realize I need him. You want, to, you, want to know, you want to know what you and I need this week? You need Jesus. Either A, you need him for salvation because you've never put your faith and your trust in him completely, or B, you need him for your daily walk. But both are true. If you've never received Christ, I want to encourage you today to receive him, put your faith in him. If you have received him, I want to encourage you today, put your faith and walk with him. You need him. Did you know that some people are hard to get along with? Some of you are like, my spouse is hard to get along with. You talking about my kids? Some people are hard to get along with. You know what you need? Jesus. Some coworkers, oh, if only, I just want to give them a piece of my, give them Jesus. In the family, in the marriage, in every relationship, Listen, strangers, I can't believe, I can't believe they would act like that. Why are they acting like that? They need Jesus. It all points to him. It's all pointing to Jesus. Man, I could go on, but I, I won't. Some of you are like, please don't. Listen, don't try to, don't try to use the word, his law, don't try to use his word to prove that you are not as bad as so-and-so because the fact is that you and so-and-so both need Jesus. Don't try to make the law vindicate you and condemn the, this is a good one. Don't, I should have put it on the screen. Don't try to make the law vindicate you and condemn the actions of others. Don't do that. Why? Because you both need Jesus. Don't compare spirituality. Why? Because you both need Jesus. Paul says, hey, Timothy, let me show you the abuse of the law. Let me show you the aim of the law. And then I close with this thought. Timothy, let me remind you about the assignment to explain the law. Look with me at verse number 11. Paul says this, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Timothy, I, like you, am entrusted with this truth. We're entrusted to take the law and the gospel to people. We take the law to them and help them understand that you cannot measure up, but we take the gospel to them to help them see you don't have to. And we've been entrusted as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted to defend and deliver 
the wonderful news of Jesus Christ to lost individuals around us. I wonder who this week needs you to point them to Jesus. Oh, you can go to work this week and prove your religiosity, or you can go to work this week and point to Jesus. You see, there's a lot of Christians this week that they want to point to how they measure up. They want to point to their righteousness. They want to point to their accomplishments. They want to point to their preference or their standard of living to prove their holiness. They want to point to their quote-unquote fulfilling the law. They want to point to what they've done for God and what some others maybe haven't done for God. But can I tell you that that's not what this world needs? That's not what your neighbor needs. That's not what your coworker needs. That's not what your relative needs. That's not what the stranger needs. Can I remind you that every person you and I come across, they are going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And they don't need you or me to have a holier than thou mindset. They need you and me to have a Jesus mindset. They need you this week to be an example of Jesus to them. Have standards, have some preferences, be religious, but don't elevate it over your relationship with Jesus. Don't do it. Why? Because then I swerve aside. I miss the mark. I deviate from the original intent. You know what we need? Jesus. Guiding truth. Hey, Timothy, Timothy, it all points to Jesus. The gospel points to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know what? I don't know every heart, but maybe you have been abusing the law. By that, maybe you've been using your religion or your standard or your preference to point to how holy you are in comparison to someone else. Can I encourage you today? That's not the aim of it. The aim is to draw you closer to Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to measure yourself by others and point to your goodness according to his word. Today, you need to ask God to help you. God, help me to see that I don't measure up. Ask the Lord to remind you every day of the aim of the law. It all points to him. But then maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior. And I wanna ask you that question. Do you know that if Jesus is in your, do you know if Jesus is in your life? Do you know that if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? You say, well, pastor, I go to church. That's not gonna get you there. Pastor, I got baptized when I was three years old. That's baptism does not wash away our sins. Well, pastor, I'm a good person. I just preached a whole message that our good works can't get us there. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, let me tell you, you need Jesus. I wanna ask for every head bowed and every eye closed today, and I wanna ask us a couple of questions to close by. The first question is this. If you're here and you'd be honest and you'd say, Pastor Dennis, I'm being honest. I am not 100% sure that Jesus is in my life. I'm not 100% sure that I've ever asked Jesus to be my savior. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've done those works, but you don't know that Jesus is in your life. You don't know that if you die the day you're going to heaven, there's some doubts. 
If that's you today, I'm not gonna call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? Because I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand just right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. Now, if you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, I do know. I do know Christ is my savior. I've received him. I've put my faith and trust in him and not my works. I know that. I've received him as my savior. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up just as a testimony? Pastor, I know that. Just right up and right back down. Now, maybe you're here and you raised your hand for that question that you know you're going to heaven. The decision you need to make today is God help me to realize every day I need you. If you're here and you couldn't raise your hand to that question because you don't know you're going to heaven. Maybe you didn't raise your hand on the first question about not knowing. But if that's you, this morning we have what's called an invitation. We'll invite you to come and someone can take the Bible and show you how you can know where you'll spend eternity. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.